Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, I'm excited. The wait is over. We're in the New Testament. So seven months of walking through the Old Testament, and then last week walking through those 400 years of silence, and now we're in the New Testament. We're, this part of the series is called The Wait is Over because the previous part was called Prepare the Way. The prophets were, were preparing the way. They were prophesying about Jesus who was coming. And, and now He is here. That wait is over. So let's pray and then we'll open God's Word and pray that it speaks to us today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You are so good and gracious. Your grace is amazing. When we make mistakes, when we struggle, when we fail, Your grace is still there. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. Help us to lean on Your amazing grace. And as we open Your Word this morning to a very familiar verse and a very familiar passage, Lord, I pray that You'll challenge us and help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of You. In Your name we pray. Amen. Well, oftentimes you find yourself on the internet having to opt in or opt out of things. Uh, there was uh, a chance to win a free home in Naples, Florida, and HGTV. If you just opt into this thing for free, you get a chance to win a home. But then they send you other emails. You wonder, should I opt out? Maybe I need to opt out. Because I, I find that oftentimes when I'm trying to get um, like discounts on, on pizza or something, I'll say, yes, I'll join Domino's Pizza Rewards. And after getting an email every single day about the next kind of pizza, I say, okay, I'm done. I'm opting out. Well, today we're going to be looking at a story where, where Nicodemus thought he had to opt out. And as long as he didn't opt out, then he was destined to be in the kingdom. He was destined to have eternal life. But he didn't realize that at some point he needed to opt in. So go ahead and open your Bibles to John 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 23. It's going to be up here on the screen. Now, it's interesting, when you read the Bible, you have to remember that the chapters and verses are something that were added later. So when these letters were written, there was no chapters, there were no verses. So sometimes they put it at a really good break. Other times they put a break in there that, that really shouldn't be there. And this is one of the circumstances of that. In John two twenty-three. now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now, as Jesus was traveling, he was performing all these miraculous signs. He had just uh, driven out uh, the, the sellers at the, at the temple and performed all these signs. And what happened was people saw what he was doing and they said, wow, he must be from God. And so many of them believed, but there's something about their belief that isn't quite there. In, in fact, in verse 24, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all, the, all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. They, in a sense believed in Jesus. There was a part of them that did. But Jesus could see through and see their heart. In fact, James says, you believe in God? Good. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. See, even demons believe in who God is, but they've never truly believed. There's a difference between belief and belief. And you might say, well, those are the same words. 
But one is surrendering to Jesus and and giving our lives to Jesus, and the other is saying, yes, I agree with some intellectual statement. Jesus knew what was in man. He knew their thoughts. And this should be something that's concerning to us, but also an encouragement simultaneously. God knows every single thought you've ever had. He knows every single action you've ever done. He even knows the motives behind your good deeds when they're not good motives. Jesus knew what was in man. He knew those people that saw the signs and says, said, we believe. But there was something missing. I, I get confused oftentimes when, when I talk to people and they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And then oftentimes their life looks no different than any agnostic or atheist because their belief is just intellectual. They haven't truly surrendered their life. And so there's this man that comes. Now there was a man. Jesus knew what was in this man. This man was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now he's going to have a a conversation with Jesus, but right off the bat, Jesus knows his thoughts. Jesus knows his motives. Jesus knows everything about Nicodemus. But who was this man that, that stopped to talk to Jesus? Well, he was a Pharisee. Now, at that time, we talked about this last week, uh, but there were around 6,000 Pharisees during that time. Now, we know about Nicodemus that he was part of the Sanhedrin, probably the great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. There were only 70 Pharisees that were part of that, that Sanhedrin. And, and one commentator said it would be like combining the, the Supreme Court and the House of Representatives together. Um, and that's kind of how you think about the Sanhedrin. They were the rulers, basically, of the, the ruling body of the Jews to take all legal and spiritual matters and to look at them. And so the Pharisees, which you talked about last week, were very zealous about God. They really wanted to follow God. And so they mapped out in the Old Testament that there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. They mapped them all out. And there were 248 do's, do these things, and 365 don'ts. And when someone committed to be a Pharisee, they had to, in front of at least three witnesses, say, I'm going to follow every single one of those 613 commands for the remainder of my life. But not only did they try to follow those commands, they followed the oral teachings. And in the Mishnah, what they did was they said, okay, here's this command that says, uh, you know, look at the Ten Commandments. It, it says on... on uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking right now. Keep the Sabbath holy. That's an important one. Keep the Sabbath holy. And they say, okay, so that means we can't work on the Sabbath. So, so we need to determine what does it mean to work? Because if we got to keep the Sabbath holy and not work, then we need to figure out what does work mean. And so what they did is they created 39 subcategories of what work was. And among those subcategories... They created more subcategories. When you look at all of the 613 laws, they added thousands of extra rules to follow as Pharisees. Things like how many steps you can take on a Sabbath. Because they say, you know, we're not supposed to work, so what we're going to do is figure out how many steps it is, and if you walk that many steps, then that's work. So this is how many steps you can take on a Sabbath. How many letters, like of the alphabet, that you can write? 
which for me, that seems like a lot more work. You're writing, you're like, okay, I've got to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But they put rules upon rules, and they were so specific. And so as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have been very morally upstanding. If you were a parent and your kid became a Pharisee, you're like, good, he's a rule keeper. That's, that's a good thing. They were looked up to by, by all of Israel. And this wasn't just a Pharisee. This was one of the 70 best Pharisees. Someone who had risen in authority and power so that the other Pharisees traveled to Jerusalem to hear Nicodemus talk. He was a teacher of teachers. But we also see that this conversation with Nicodemus would have a great impact on him. In John 7, uh, the, the Pharisees had, had sent some, some, uh, some soldiers to arrest Jesus, and it, it didn't work out. And so it says in verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of the number, asked, Does our law, law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. He puts his neck out on the line and he says, we can't condemn Jesus without hearing from him because he spent time with Jesus and after that was changed. And so he's telling the others in the Sanhedrin, you need to do the same. You need to hear from this man. You need to listen to this man. But that was rejected. After Jesus' death in John 19, we know that Joseph of Arimathea got the body from Pilate, but what we often don't recognize is that Nicodemus helped him. In fact, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. This would have been a tremendously expensive way to wrap Jesus. And he helped Joseph wrap the body and put the body in the tomb. So we're going to find out that this inter- interaction on this night, even though it seems like Nicodemus isn't getting it, will have a profound impact on this man. In fact, Jewish tradition has it that, that Nicodemus lost all of his wealth because he professed to follow Jesus. But let's go to John 3. He, he came to Jesus at night. Now, usually when people preach to this, they often say, well, it was probably because as a Pharisee, he didn't want to see anybody else talking. He didn't want anybody else to see him talking to Jesus. But we don't really know if that's the case. That's possible. Uh, Another thing is that the rabbis would teach that uh, the best time to study Torah, to study the Bible, is at night because you don't have any other distractions. Uh, Jesus was busy during the day uh, healing and, and doing all these miracles, and so it would probably be hard to, to get in and, and see Jesus, so maybe the nighttime was the only time he could get in. But also John contrasts light and dark all the time, and light uh, is Jesus, it's the truth, it's revealed, darkness, there's, there's no truth, truth is hidden, and so all of these things are potential reasons uh, for why he came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if you were not with him. This is really interesting. Now, Nicodemus would have grown up, and he would have been going to the best schools and received the best training and really studied under the best Pharisees. That's how you get in the Sanhedrin. And here's this traveling rabbi Jesus who has no formal training, 
who's coming and, and he's doing all these miracles. And, and Nicodemus recognizes something in what he's doing. He, he calls him rabbi, teacher, a sign of respect. And he says, we know. Now it's interesting he says, we know, because we, you would think, would be the Sanhedrin. But if you look at their response to Jesus, it's quite clear that they do not think that Jesus is from God. But in his mind, as Nicodemus had seen this happen, he says, we know that you're from God. I've been watching uh, this series on TV, well, not on TV, on the Internet, called The Chosen, which uh, uh, goes through the life of Jesus. And uh, I love how they portray Nicodemus, just this questioning Pharisee trying to figure out what's going on. And so he says, uh, we know that you are from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He acknowledges with all these things going on, it must be God. It doesn't make sense that it could be anything other than Yahweh working these things out. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How could someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. So he praises Jesus, calls him a teacher, says he has to be from God, but Jesus doesn't acknowledge his praise. He simply goes into his lesson. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, for us, that we're familiar with that language and we're familiar with this passage, so it doesn't seem that shocking, but you have to put yourself in the place of Nicodemus. This would be as if someone, a traveling teacher, came into church and told me, Phil, you're not saved. You're going to hell. And I'd be like, what? I, I've dedicated my life to this. Like, I, I, I have a relationship with Jesus. But, but, Nick, but Jesus says to Nicodemus, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, the Jews in that time would have thought of this as, as something that's crazy because the way they thought was that the kingdom was going to come for the Jews and it was going to be a, 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 really a destruction of other nations and they thought that they were automatically in. If I'm a Jew, I'm in. I don't need to do anything. Now, I could opt out if I commit blasphemy or if I'm just a really, really bad sinner, then I'm out. But as long, because I'm a Jew, I'm just automatically into this system. And, and we think about that, and really when we look at our culture, that's really what our culture teaches. That well, as long as you're a good person... As long as you don't do, I mean, I know, I know like Hitler, you know, he's going to, he's, he's not going to go to heaven, but, but, but I'm a pretty good person, you know, compared to others. So, so I'm in, right? Cause that's all you need, right? You just, you just need, as long as I don't opt out, as long as I'm not, as long as I'm not a bad person, then I'm good. And that's what Nicodemus said. I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm in. I know I'm in the kingdom. I didn't opt out. But Jesus said, you have to be Born again. Now, this phrase born again was a common phrase in that time, and it was something that was used that people would have understood. But this rabbi would have had his whole religious foundation turned upside down. He had studied his whole life, studied the Torah, studied the the Mishnah, studied the Talmud, spent his whole life studying all these things, and now Jesus is saying, Nope. You have to be born again. And at first, Nicodemus doesn't, doesn't get it. He says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. When I was born, I was born a few weeks early. I think I was 6 pounds, 10 ounces. Um, 
and uh, that worked. But now I'm six foot two, two hundred and something. I'm not going to say. And if I tried to go back in my mother's womb, it would not work. My mom would not be happy. And they could even say that the logistics of this don't work. It's not possible for an old person to, to go back in the womb of his mother. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus is flipping the paradigm. Nicodemus is saying, all you got to do to enter the kingdom is, is be a Jew. And Jesus is saying, nope, you need born of the water and of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean, born of the water and of the Spirit? Well, there are six views of this. And I'm going to share four with you and then share where I land. The first one is that someone needs to be baptized to be saved. Some people, uh, some denominations will say that this born of the water and the Spirit means that you have to be baptized. And if you're not baptized, then you're not truly born again. But I would say that if that was the case, then why don't we see baptism as a predominant ministry of Jesus. As he traveled, we don't see him, people lining up to be baptized again and again. We don't see that as a prominent ministry. If that was the case, what about the thief on the cross? He's next to Jesus and he says, will you remember me when you're in paradise? And, and Jesus says, oh, oh, sorry, no, I don't have any water here to baptize you. So that's, we can't do that. No, Jesus says, surely, surely you'll be with me in paradise because he had faith. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul said, Christ didn't send me to baptize. If baptism was necessary for salvation, you would think Paul would say, Christ sent me to preach and to baptize. But no, he says, He didn't send me to baptize, He sent me to preach. A second view is that this means to be washed in the Word. We see that throughout the New Testament, this idea of being washed in the Word. A third idea is that Jesus is saying you need an internal transformation. And I do think there is an element of this. In Ezekiel 36, and Nicodemus would have known this, it said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols I will clean you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. And so Nicodemus would have known that. So there's probably some element of that in here. But really, I think it's a very simple thing. I think born of the water just means a, a physical birth. Um, that was a phrase that was used sometimes in the ancient Near East for a physical birth. How do you know a baby's coming? Their water breaks. And so I think what Jesus is saying, look at that next sentence, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. I think he's saying you need to be born once as a baby and then born of water and then born again a second time, born of the Spirit. But if you hold to uh, the, the second and third views in there, that's, that's fine. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Have you ever seen a bad windstorm? Uh, if you've ever been over at the four-mile property during an open house, 
you know that wind just tears through. And you can't see the wind, but what you can see is all the cups falling over and all the plates blowing off the tables and and all the pictures that were sent out for the open house falling over. You see all the effects of the wind. You don't actually see the wind. But Jesus is saying that when people truly believe in me, not just intellectually say, yeah, there's a God, but when they truly believe me, when the Spirit is present, you will see a change. You will see something different. It will be obvious that this, the Spirit is there. And Nicodemus is again still confused. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. And you do not understand these things? Nicodemus had spent his whole life studying the Torah. And yet he missed it. But sometimes we miss it too. Jesus teaches us what it looks like to follow him, but sometimes we get so distracted by everything else. And, and even religion, even we get so caught up in doing the right things that we miss a relationship with Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify of what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I think he's probably talking about the Pharisees there. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. I was having a hard time thinking about how to explain this. And, and uh, in one of my commentaries, James Montgomery Voice wrote a paraphrase of this. And I, and I really appreciate that. And I'm going to put that up on the screen. Nicodemus answered Jesus saying, I've never observed the new birth. I can't believe it's possible. Jesus answered, do you mean to tell me that you have risen to the point of being a teacher in Israel? And yet you have never observed the transformed life of a person who has been touched by my spirit? I'm telling you the truth that when I say that all of us are speaking about things that we know personally and testifying to things that we have often observed in others, you don't believe us. If I have testified to transformations uh, in others that can be observed and you do not believe, how can you believe if I were to tell you about things that cannot be heard and that cannot be known or that can be known only by revelation? In other words, you've seen me heal people. You've seen the disciples radically transformed. If you can't get this, then, then how, how can you get these other things that need special revelation? I'm right here. I'm right in front of you. I'm in the flesh. I'm here, Nicodemus. How are you missing this? He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. In Numbers 21, there's a story of the Israelites who were in the wilderness. And while they were in the wilderness, they got, well, a number of times they they complained. And one particular time, uh, they were really sick of the food that God had miraculously provided to them. And so they were bitter and they had complained and, and God had had enough and so God sent poisonous snakes, and those snakes bit them, and, and the Israelites were, were dying, and they cried out to God and cried out to Moses, what do we do? And, and Jesus said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to put up this bronze serpent, and anybody who's bitten by the snakes, if they look at the bronze serpent, they'll be healed. And that's what happened. If they were bitten, they would go, and they would look at the bronze serpent, and they would be healed. But if they, if a snake came and, and bit them and they went home and they just stayed in their tent 
And they said, I'm not going to go look at that stupid thing. They would die. They had to have enough faith to go and act, to look upon that. And Jesus says, just like the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man, so I, Jesus, will be lifted up. And for people to be saved, they're going to have to look at me. Look to the cross. So you all are sinners and we all make mistakes. And it is only by looking and believing and trusting in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Then this verse, the most famous verse in the Bible, you've seen it in sports, sporting events. Back, Tim Timo made it famous when he put it on his, uh, under his eyes and it was the most searched uh, thing that day. Uh, if you go into a hotel and you open up uh, Gideon Bible, they're right there. They'll have John 3.16 in 27 different languages because they want you, to, if you can't read English and you can't read this Bible in the very front, they want you to at least know one thing. John 3.16. It's the first verse we memorize often as kids. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now this word for connects it to the previous verse. Jesus, the Son of Man, must be lifted up and everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Jesus is going to die on the cross, be lifted up, and salvation is through Him. For God so loved the world. The word so here, I I love how the CSB translated it. For God loved the world in this way. In this way, God loved the world that He sent His one and only son. I remember uh, after Josh was born, um, I've always known this verse to be true. I've always known that, that God the Father gave up a lot. But I just remember holding my firstborn son and the reality of what God the Father did hit in a whole new way. That God loved me so much that He sent His one and only Son. I would do anything to protect my son to experience pain and hardship. I want him, I will phrase it this way, I want him to experience some hardship and, and learn how to go through it. But, but I want to protect my boy. And God willingly sent His boy to suffer the most excruciating death in the history of mankind. Why? For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son. The word believe here is used, this is the 11th time it's used in John. It will be used 98 times in John. Whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. Legend tells us a stranger attempting to circle the globe uh, was traveling and he found himself trapped in quicksand. As he slowly sank, Confucius came by and said, It is evident that man should avoid such situations. And he went on his way. Muhammad came by and said, Alas, it is the will of Allah. And he went on his way. Buddha came by and said, Let this man's dilemma be an illustration for many. And he went on his way. Krishna came by and said, Better luck next time. And he went on his way. And Jesus came by and reached down and pulled him out of the quicksand. The stories of these other faiths demonstrate something that's unique to Christianity. Every other faith says, 
If you do these things, if you do enough of these things, then you can earn your way to heaven or earn your way to a better life in the future. And our culture says, as long as you're a good person. But Christianity is the only way where God said, you are desperately hopeless, and so I'm going to come down to you. Because you can't earn your way to me. I'm holy and righteous, and there's nothing you can do that is good enough, and so I sent my Son. I came down to save you. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is what Nicodemus had missed. He thought, I'm in as long as I don't opt out. As a Jew, I'm in. I just can't commit blasphemy and can't you know, be a really bad sinner. But Jesus says, nope, you start out. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because we all stand condemned. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. Every single one of us. The Scriptures say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And they say, for the wages of sin is death. We all stand condemned. If we don't believe in Jesus, it, it's not, oh, as long as, I, as long as I don't do these bad things and, and opt out, then I'm good. No, we're all out. And then we need to opt in. We need to believe in Jesus. It says that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. How? Through Him. Salvation is only through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. This invitation is to all, but all have to receive it. And we have to believe in it. There's this book that as, when the kids were younger, I read it to them every night. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it, it uh, tells a little story about the, the crucifixion. And it says this, So you're a king, are you? The Roman soldiers jeered. Then you'll need a crown and a robe. They gave Jesus a crown made out of thorns and put a purple robe on Him and pretended to bow down to Him. Your majesty, they said. Then they whipped Him and spat on Him. They didn't understand that this was the Prince of Life, the King of Heaven and Earth, who had come to rescue them. The soldiers made Him a sign, our King, and nailed it to the wooden cross. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on His back. Jesus had never done anything wrong, but they were going to kill Him just like they killed other criminals. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus gasped for breath and said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. The crowd shouted, You say you've come to rescue us and you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued Himself. A legion of angels were, were flying, waiting by His side, and all He had to do was call them to His help and they would come. They said, if you're really the Son of God, you could just climb down off that cross. And of course, they were right. Jesus could have climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Just like when he healed that little girl and when he stilled the storm 
and when he fed the 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand what it was. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That moment, those moments of my Savior being beaten and tortured and spit on and mocked and hanging on the cross and using all of his energy to push up to exhale because he couldn't breathe because he was suffocating. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise because that thief believed. That thief did not deserve paradise. He was being executed for horrible sins. And yet, he believed. Because for God so loved the world, they sent his only son, that whoever believes, the thief on the cross, you, me, no matter what our past is, no matter how many mistakes we've made, Jesus offers salvation. Without it, we stand condemned already. It's not something that as long as we don't opt out, we have it. We have to believe. And believing is, like it says in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, I believe and I want to follow You. There were many people, many people that gathered that said, I believe in Jesus. And then when hard times come, they said, well, not really. Jesus knew their hearts. He knew the heart of Nicodemus when Nicodemus came to talk to him. He knew the difference between belief and belief. So the question is today, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I made mistakes. And I know I need you. And so I confess my sins to you. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I messed up and I, and I put my faith and trust in you. And, and I know and I believe that you raised from the dead. And that now you're sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. And that if I put my faith and trust in you, I will have eternal life. Do you believe that? I encourage you, if you're watching online or if you're in here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, to come talk to me after the service. I'd love to pray with you. It's very simple. It's just putting your faith in Him, believing in Him. If you believe, you will have eternal life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a chance to open your word. Lord, uh, for many of us, we made that decision a long time ago. And it can be easy to lose sight of how wonderful and amazing that grace is. It can be easy to lose sight of the fact that you sacrificed. You came to this earth. You gave up glory for the purpose of dying. A horrible death so that we can have life. Without you, we stand condemned already. But you did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through Christ. So Lord, help us to believe. Help us to 
allow that belief to change and impact what we do every single day. And if there's anyone in here uh, or anyone online that has never put their faith and trust today, I just pray that today they will believe. Today they will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. They will commit their life to You or recommit their life to You and say, Lord, I want to follow You. Lord, be with them in these moments. In your name we pray. Amen.